Hello and welcome to the Medic Minutes podcast, the British Columbia Emergency Health Services podcast for paramedics. Today we're going to talk about AIM3 as a refresher podcast. Uh, I'm Tim McCready's and with me I've got Ollie Olsen, a critical care paramedic and paramedic practice leader. Hi Ollie. Hey Tim, how are you doing? Good, good. So I guess we'll kick right off. Uh, I think it's important to kind of answer the question, uh, why are we doing this? Really, it's been a while since a lot of us covered off on AIM-3 in the classroom, and with the impending rollout of ketamine and fentanyl across the province, it's important to revisit some of the key content of AIM-3 and refresh our knowledge. So today, we're going to review some of the key principles covered in AIM, including the shock index and resuscitate before you intubate. And we're also going to review some of the newly introduced pharmacology, so ketamine, fentanyl and phenylephrine. Um, And we'll talk about their indications, contraindications, briefly touch on doses, and we'll get you to share as many clinical pearls with us as you can. Um, So without any delay, I guess we'll get right into it. So um, Oli, can you tell us what the key principles of AIM-3 are? Yeah, you betcha, Tim. we got a few of them we're going to touch on here. We're going to talk about an emphasis on crew resource management or CRM and the inclusion of three new checklists to help guide practice. A staged approach to airway management focusing on strong basics before advanced interventions are performed. And the principle of resuscitation sequence intubation. Resuscitate before you intubate. Also the introduction of three key medications to assist with preparation and safe intubation. Now these are ketamine, fentanyl, and phenylephrine. And finally we're going to go over awake intubation. Yeah, fantastic. So we'll take a look at the principles in a bit more depth. So I guess we'll start with uh, CRM. So what are the key principles behind CRM and how do they really relate to the management of critical patients in the pre-hospital environment? CRM is not new to paramedic practice. It's something we've been doing for a long time. However, I think it's important we go over some key points. And I got eight ones here I just want to touch on. Number one is know your environment. Two, it's important to anticipate, share and review the plan. It's also about providing effective leadership. Four, ensure role clarity and good teamwork. It's also about effective communication. Six, call for help early. Seven, allocate attention wisely and avoid fixation. And then finally, distribute the workload. Monitor and support your team members around you. We've inserted a great link into the show notes, which talks about CRM and it's from Life in the Fast Lane. So it's a great read if you're interested in taking a bit of a deeper dive on this topic. So feel free to have a look at that. Can you um, explain a little bit about the practice of a staged airway approach, Ollie? Yeah, sure. And I think a staged approach to airway management is really, really important. Now, if basic airway management works, then there's no need to move to an SGA or endotracheal intubation. Uh, SGA works. If it does, no need to intubate. We see far too many cowboys sedating for intubation with no real clear rationale. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's one thing um, from my practice in previous systems that we really just focused on the basics. It's kind of like CPR. So we get those basics right. And then if we need to move up and escalate, we can, but always keeping in mind that if you need to stop at an IGEL, then that's okay too. Stop at an IGEL, there's no need to intubate just because we can. So that's a really good point. Um, And so that kind of brings us on nicely into what we want to talk about next. And that's about resuscitation sequence intubation or the principle of resuscitating before you intubate. And can you tell us a little bit about that as a few principles? which are really important. 
Yeah, you betcha. And, you know, sometimes we do need to intubate. And when we do, uh, it's important to um, understand RSI. Now, RSI is the principle of resuscitating the patient prior to intubation in order to reduce the risk of death. Now, the literature tells us that uh, there are three key physiological factors that will increase the chance of a bad outcome. And these are hypotension, hypoxemia, and metabolic acidosis. Now, AIM-3 places a large emphasis on correcting these three killers prior to intubation using a range of basic and advanced strategies. So a couple of the basic strategies, um, they include IV access. Anytime we're going to intubate using a large bore cannulas or IO access when needed or intubated or indicated. Uh, Also a fluid bolus of at least 500 cc's of normal saline. Also high flow oxygen, nasal and non-rebreathing face mask, uh, and no DSAT. Default to bag valve mask with two-person uh, seal to increase oxygenation, oxygenation if you can. And if possible, shoot for a higher than normal blood pressure before intubating. Now, some of the advanced strategies we're going to talk about. This includes uh, the introduction of phenylephrine at 100 mics, uh, Q3 minutes PRM. The use of medications for induction that have a safer hemodynamic profile, ketamine and fentanyl. And the use of shock index to modify medication doses uh, based on patient frailty or fragility. And BCHS has also introduced a modified medication checklist into the handbook for paramedics to refer to as well. And then finally, consideration of DSI or awake intubation for patients who have uh, predicted difficult airways. Yeah, fantastic. So you mentioned the shock index there. That's something that we've started to introduce now for more fragile um, patients in trauma specifically. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about what it is and how it applies? Mm -hmm. So shock index or SI is a tool to help identify patients at risk for hypotension in the peri-intubation phase. It's calculated by heart rate divided by systolic pressure with a normal range of 0.5 to 0.7 in healthy adults. Now, for the purposes of trauma or a sick medical patient, anything below one is good, with a calculation of one or above prompting you to consider a modified medication regime. And how does this kind of link directly into resuscitation for us in AIM-3? Yeah, so the doses you use for your induction agent should be adjusted according to pre-RSI physiology. Now, this means reducing the dose of your induction agent to ensure there's no significant drop in blood pressure. Now, in BCHS, that means uh, a dose of ketamine would be halved from 2 milligrams per kilogram IV to 1 milligram per kilogram IV. It really takes into consideration that these patients are fragile and that shock by itself is a powerful anesthetic. Fantastic. So that kind of wraps up the AIM-3 principles. So I guess the next part of what we want to talk about in this podcast is really the pharmacology. So I guess we'll start with ketamine because I think that's really the biggest change that we're going to see um, with these new um, pharmacology that we're getting. Um, So I'll go as a bit of a a rapid fire for the first couple of points. So Oli, can you tell us what ketamine is and how it works? Yeah, ketamine is a great new drug that uh, we've been rolling out now. It's an NMDA receptor antagonist, uh, which results in analgesia at low doses and disassociative uh, anesthesia at higher doses. Great. And what are the indications for ACPs within uh, BCEHS? So in BCHS, we're using ketamine for the induction and maintenance of general anesthesia, uh, analgesia, procedural sedation and analgesia, and severe agitation or excited delirium syndrome. Great. And what are some contraindications? 
Contraindications we have are hypersensitivity or an allergy to ketamine, uh, patients who's unable to manage the adverse effects of ketamine, and condition where elevated blood pressure would be harmful. And what about a couple of precautions? A couple of precautions to consider is a severe hypertension, that's a systolic, systolic blood pressure of above 180, subarachnoid hemorrhage or epidural hematoma with, with severe hypertension, and myocardial ischemia or cardiac dysrhythmias. Great. And there's with ketamine, I guess there's a lot of side effects and adverse effects, and I don't want you to talk about them in depth because we've attached a podcast in the show notes which really takes a very, very deep dive into ketamine and how to manage every specific type of adverse effect and side effect. But could you just um, rattle off the, what we should expect to see um, with these patients in some instances uh, in terms of adverse effects? So yeah, like all medications, there are some adverse effects and side effects. And with ketamine, we have a, a list here, and most of the instances are quite low. Um, so I'm just going to rattle them off quickly here. We've got emergence phenomenon that happens. And this is confusion, delirium, excitement, hallucination in some cases. Also instances of laryngospasm. Now, fortunately, this is less than 1%. Uh, tachycardia, hypertension... Uh, a little over 10% of patients might experience this. Bradycardia and hypertension, or hypotension, sorry, uh, 1 to 10%. Anaphylaxis, less than 1%. Hypersalivation, less than 1%. Extreme muscle rigidity or tone, less than 1%. Nystagmus, increased intraocular pressure. And in some cases, apnea or respiratory uh, depression. And also, there are rare instances where there's a rash or a rash around the injection site. Great. And just to highlight that there are many ways to manage uh, each of these individual side effects or adverse effects. And, and we have put this podcast in the show notes, which really talks specifically about ketamine in the pre-hospital environment and how to manage these as best as you can. It's, it's a really good resource if you haven't used ketamine before. It does feature my voice again, a um, bit of a disclaimer there, but um, again, it's really good. So um, check out the show notes, have a listen if you'd like. Um, and kind of moving on to doses, uh, what we don't want to do in this podcast is go through every dose individually. I think um, we should have our paramedics referring back to the handbook where needed if they're a bit unsure. Uh, and in cases where your handbook's just not available, you've left it in the car or your battery's dead, um, you can always call clinical and just double check the dosing with them because it is a new drug and it's something um, that may take a little bit of time to get familiar with. And so I guess moving on to the next drug, uh, fentanyl. Uh, now, it's, uh, it's a drug which will also be coming out um, alongside morphine, which we already use. Um, so, Ollie, can you tell us a little bit about fentanyl? Yeah, so I think all of our paramedics have some experience with fentanyl, and everyone's certainly heard of it. Uh, it's actually a synthetic opioid analgesia. Fantastic. And what are the indications within uh, BCEHS for our ACP paramedics? In BCEHS, we use it for relief of moderate to severe pain. It's quite effective for this. And it may also be used in conjunction with a sedative to facilitate awake intubation. Great. And can you tell us the contraindications for fentanyl, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so some con contraindications for fentanyl include a hypersensitivity or an allergy to opioids, uh, including morphine, myasthenia gravis, respiratory depression, acute asthmatic attack, upper airway obstruction, or patients on MAOIs. Great. And any precautions? couple of precautions, uh, be cautious uh, of respiratory depression, especially when patient uh, has other sedatives in their system. Right. And what about adverse effects? What could we expect to see with this? Again, uh, you know, there's a chance of a couple of adverse effects with, with fentanyl, uh, including lightheadedness, dizziness, uh, sedation, agitation, fear, delirium. 
uh, sometimes nausea and vomiting, uh, respiratory depression or apnea, uh, laryngospasm, and in some cases, uh, instances of chef, chest wall rigidity have been reported. Great. Yeah, I have seen that once before, and it typically occurs when you push the medication a bit too quickly, especially in the pediatric population, so a bit of a pearl there. Um, and kind of onto pearls, Ollie, you've been using this medication a while, for a while now as a critical care paramedic. Is there any information you can kind of give us which, which will help us to, um, you know, use medication a lot more easier as we transition across to it? Yeah, sure. So, you know, with any transition to a medication, um, there is, you know, a little bit of worry about getting dosage correctly. But um, fortunately with fentanyl, uh, one of the keys to make this transition a little bit easier is keep in mind that dosing and effect are very similar to morphine. Now, as an example, five what you might use a five milligram dose for morphine will have a very similar effect with a 50 microgram dosage of fentanyl and so on. So if you have a patient you might use 2.5 milligrams of morphine on, you probably use 25 mics of fentanyl on. Yeah, fantastic. Really good advice. Thank you. Um, and I guess moving on to the final medication, phenylephrine, um, what is it? Yeah, phenylephrine, it's, um, well, it's an alpha receptor agonist, which results in arterial, arterial vasoconstriction. Great. And what are the indications for um, ACPs within BCEHS? Yeah, so in BCHS, we're using it for the maintenance of blood pressure in acute hypotensive states or shock after fluid, adequate fluid and volume replacement. Great. And the contraindications? Hypersensitivity to phenylephrine, uh, hypersensitivity to sulfates, uh, severe hypertension or ventricular uh, dysrhythmia, and uh, phenochromocytoma. This is a rare tumor of the adrenal gland. So very hard to pronounce. Fantastic. Uh, and what about precautions for us, Oli? A couple things to be cautious of. Uh, bradycardia, uh, patients in a partial heart block, cardiac disease, hyperthyroidism. Great. And uh, adverse effects, what could we see with this medication? Yeah, sure. A couple adverse effects to be aware of. Potentially headache, nervousness, reflex bradycardia, nausea, vomiting, paresthesia. And this may reduce blood flow to vital organs due to severe peripheral and visceral vasoconstriction. Great. And on to doses, we won't talk too much about it, but can you just highlight for us again why we don't use this medication in the pediatric population? Um, so it kind of makes sense. Uh, we're not going to use this in pediatrics because when you get a peed in a shock state, it's they're usually rate-related or rate-dependent, and we can treat those better with epinephrine. Yeah, fantastic. Great. And so that kind of wraps up our pharmacology. Um, thanks very much for that. And I guess the final kind of thing we wanted to talk about is the, uh, the clinical quality assurance module um, and the advanced airway registry. Can you just spend uh, a couple of minutes there telling us about those? Yeah, sure. So tracking our data is, is really important in everything we're doing here. It informs our practice. It informs uh, how we're going to be moving forward as a profession. Now, the organi organization's recently introduced an advanced airway registry and this section will really help inform practice for years to come. So use it anytime we're placing an advanced airway, including an SGA. Additionally, SIREN will shortly begin to flag all cases where an advanced airway has been uh, attempted, and the PCR will undergo, uh, undergo a review by either a PPL or a medical director. This is all part of our quality assurance. Uh, now, this is important because it provides some clinical oversight to our most high-risk cases. In order to identify trends, it may indicate additional training um, or require other requirements across the network. Yeah, fantastic. All right. So I guess that really concludes uh, the podcast for today. Thanks so much to everyone for tuning in. Uh, Ollie, thanks so much for your time today, mate. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Tim. 
Um, we hope you've all been able to take away something from the podcast and that you just get a bit of a refresher there, uh, VAMP 3, leading into the rollout of ketamine and fentanyl across the province in mid-October. Um, as per usual, if you have any questions or queries, please reach out to your local PPED or email clinicalpractice at bcehs.ca or if you've got any ideas or feedback about this podcast, um, you can email podcast at bcehs.ca. Oh,